We have a special episode for you today. This is episode, or special episode, I need to say, um, 23. And we're really excited. It's Megan and Julie from the VBAC Link. And if you have never listened to us before, go check out all the awesome episodes. We've got a whole slew of them from many women of strength sharing their VBAC stories and their C-section journeys and providers and chiropractors and lots of fun things. So check them out. But today we're going to be talking about some things that you may not know you either have options to do or that happen in the birth room. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this one because especially for like first time parents that don't know what they don't know. I think this is like taking another level, like Things people don't know or they say, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have known that they do that normally. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to we're compiling a lot of things or things that we've like randomly seen here and there pop up. Yeah. Really weird things. Yeah. (laughs) Made made us scratch our heads. (laughs) Scratch your heads. Head scratching stuff. Yeah. So we're super excited. So dive on in with us. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. (laughs) All right. Welcome back. We really are excited to talk today with you guys about some things that, like we mentioned, have made us scratch our heads and lift our eyebrows and be like, what in the heck? Or, you know, things that we've had our personal clients go through um, an experience or even things that women on the podcast have shared with us. Um, you know, things like provider, it's too late to change a provider. We'll just start off with that one right there. Um, we've had women say that. Well, it was too late to change, so I just stayed. What do you have to say about that, Julie? Um, It is never too late. I want to just talk about a couple of things, actually, since we're starting with that one. I thought we were going to start with the Johnson Johnson. I know. You tricked me. Yes, Um, I did. Going off the plan. Yeah, so you're winging it. Megan's (laughs) trying to teach me how to wing it because I am am very type A. I like to have a plan. Yes. So So changing providers. Okay. I, my mind's spinning in like 500 directions. Do you want me to give it? I want no, to tell a story. I, okay, you tell a story. Okay, and, and then, then I'm gonna tell your a story. All right. Yes. So you threw me off my off my track. <laughs> I had a groove on, and then you just like derailed me. So I got to get back on the track. All right. So while Julie's getting back on track, um, I want to share a story about changing providers and literally just how late you can change a provider. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had a mom. One time, and she was in labor. I was actually at another birth. Um, and she was texting me, telling me, hey, I'm contracting. Things are happening. And I was like, great. Keep me posted. I'm up here. Everything's good. So as the night continued, um, I actually finished up the birth where I was at. And she told me, she texted me and said, it is so intense. I think that we should just meet at the hospital. If you're ready, I would love for you to come. And I said, okay, that's great. Um, so I... 
I grabbed some food and head over to the hospital where she was having her baby. And we um, pretty much met there at the same time. And we were getting in there and, you know, they were doing their thing. The the nurses were hooking her up to the the toco and the baby monitor and all that jazz. And, and she's just major laboring. Like, you can see this, right? Like, I'm thinking in my head she's got to be at least 5'6". With the way she was laboring, she was she was definitely progressing, and so the nurse checks her, and she's like, "Well, you're probably like a four and a half, maybe a five. And I was like, "Okay, like you're doing great, you know." And she's like, "Yeah, so we'll 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 keep you for an hour and see if it progresses." I'm like, "Okay, all right." So she continues to labor, and con- like clearly laboring, continually getting worse. Right? It's getting not worse. That sounds so bad getting harder more intense yes more intense and she comes in in an hour the nurse and she's like oh honey she's like we can check you again but you're just i think you're just experiencing late pregnancy discomfort oh my gosh and i i wrote your provider and i guess it's movie night for him so he's not there no no Oh, my yeah. gosh. And she's like, so I'm just waiting for the on-call doc to let me know what they want me to do with you, if they want me to discharge you or not. So she's telling her she's not contracting. She looks at me, and she's like, Megan, am I contracting? Oh <laughs> like, really gosh. upset. I was like, uh, yeah. I was like, it's oh very clear God. you're in labor. Like, it's okay. And she's like, my provider told me he would be here. Like, he told me no matter he what, movie night. it would be there. He would be there. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And she's like, no. And so she finds out who's on call. And she apparently had a bad experience with this provider early in her pregnancy, just going into a prenatal. And she was like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. And she, like, seriously started, like, having anxiety, right? And her husband was livid. And he's like, no, this is not okay. And so he's Googling his insurance company. And he looks at me and he was like, what other hospital takes our insurance? I'm looking right now. I'm going to call him. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> like, okay, hold on. And so anyway, so he was serious. And we found a hospital that took his insurance nearby. is about 20 what? minutes down the street. And she looked at me and she said, I hope you're okay with this, but we're leaving. And I was nice. like, nice. Oh my gosh. I said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And um, she literally unhooked her IV herself. Literally took off her toko and everything, put her pants on. He grabbed the bag and we started walking out the door. And the nurse is like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, wait, 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 wait. And she was like, I'm leaving. She's like, oh, you can't do that. And she was like, well, you were going to discharge me anyway because I'm not in labor, right? And then she's bending over, contracting, like clearly laboring. And she looks up and she's like, I'm leaving. And she's like, do you have to sign an AMA? The nurse. And she's like, give it to me, whatever. And she's like, and your insurance will not cover you. Ugh. And she was like, whatever. That's a lie. So she signs it, and we drive to this this other hospital, right? Seven centimeters when we got there. Because she finally felt like, like free. she was, but she, she was laboring. Yeah. She never stopped. She never stopped. She just she was in labor, and this lady, because Ugh. the toco wasn't pulling up strong enough on the monitor and a toco is a machine the the monitor one of those monitors that tracks the contractions because it wasn't showing up strong enough on her perfectly shaped little basketball belly (laughs) she wasn't in labor and she was experiencing late pregnancy discomfort so anyway so we went there uh to this other hospital and we had a baby a couple hours later and um so just to let you know literally not too late to change your provider ever 
ever, ever, even ever. When you're in labor. Even when you're in labor. When did that happen? That was two years ago. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. It was um, pretty intense. That is crazy. I had a client walk out of the hospital after her membranes oh, were ruptured. Oh, I do believe yes. I remember this. So this is a crazy story for a lot of reasons, but she was with one group of providers and there was one provider in the practice that she didn't care for and her waters ruptured and all she wanted to do was go in and check and make sure baby was safe and because um, there was a two-vessel cord mm-hmm. and, instead of a three-vessel and she just wanted to go in and make sure the baby was safe after her water was broken and then she wanted to leave and labor at home because contractions hadn't really started yet. So she wanted mm-hmm. to go in and get che- get checked to have the baby's heart rate checked. And I told her, like, if you go in there and you, they confirm that your waters are ruptured, they're probably really going to want you to stay. So they're going to try and they'll probably try and make you stay. In fact, I'm sure that they will. Oh, and I said, yeah. If you, you go to the hospital yeah, and they're going to. If you yeah. want to go home, you're probably going to get a lot of kickback and you're probably going to have to sign an AME. And she said, OK. So she knew that. She went in there. And, of course, her waters were ruptured, and the midwife, I mean, the provider that was on call there was the one that she didn't really love the most, and she had some bad experiences with that particular one, and she said she wanted to go home, and the provider said, you can't go home. Your waters are broken. You have to stay here until the baby comes, and she's like, no, I don't. I want to go home, and then the provider started throwing out things like uh-huh. it was just ridiculous like she's like oh look there was a dip in your baby's heart rate your if your baby's heart rate stays having dips like that it's dangerous so uh-huh. you'll want to stay here yes. and then and then my client was like no i'm fine i still want to go i can see my baby's doing okay cuz she had the knowledge at that time like uh-huh. what was a concerning diesel and it was just right. a normal one mm-hmm. um and then she said well if you leave your insurance won't pay for it yeah and then she the yeah but that's not even true it's not true it's not true I at confirmed. all confirmed insurance paid just, for that first visit yeah. she never was even admitted yeah exactly it's ridiculous and they had and they hadn't admitted my client either and they, yeah. s- they said well you have to sign an ama that says yeah. you're that you are what word did what word did she use? It was like refusing care. Yeah, but it was implying that she was like aggressive and causing problems, what? Or whatever. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, um. Anyways, I don't remember what the word was, and so she did, and then she left, and then she called me, and I got on the phone with you, and we tried to find a provider, and this was a feedback actually. We tried to find a provider. It was like ten o'clock at night. I'm pretty sure we were on our way home from doing podcasts, mm-hmm. and that night, and. Um, and we found a provider and she switched. Mm-hmm. And it was a hospital like 30 minutes away. Yeah. So the same thing. Like, ours was 20. Yeah. And, and we've had clients switch. Like I've had clients switch like 34 weeks and then again at 37 weeks. I, yeah. You know? We had one just last week, 39, 39 yeah. weeks. She, that bait and switcher. And yep. she, she called us and was like, uh, this is what's happening. And we're like, no, that's red flag. And she was like, yeah, help me. Like, help me find a provider. And so we just sent her a few names that we knew. And she had a much yeah. better experience. Yep. You know, um, even just on our Facebook page today, there was a comment of a, we were talking about um, VBAC policies, mm-hmm. right? That you had to, like, sign a waiver mm-hmm. that you acknowledge that there's a risk of rupture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
this was a pretty aggressive policy that we were talking about. And one of the commenters said that she walked out in the middle of labor, like she literally um, tore out her IV herself, walked out of there and then just went on to have her baby at home because Mm -hmm. of how aggressive the hospital staff was treating her. And we don't necessarily recommend not birthing with a provider, especially for a VBAC, but you got to trust your intuition and you got to stand up for yourself. And if somebody's treating you wrong or if you feel like there is something not quite right with your situation you have the right and the privilege to walk out and your insurance will pay for it yeah you can fight for it not yeah um awesome okay so yeah changing providers don't ever be scared if your gut or anything says change change don't be scared we know it's hard but it will be worth it in the end um okay going back on track Johnson and Johnson. So Johnson and Johnson. So if you have been with us for a while, um, yes, if you've been with us for a while, you may have seen my story on Instagram, and I think I actually shared it on Facebook. I think you posted in a doula group, and I did. There's like 500 comments. Oh, I know. It was ridiculous. It exploded. (laughs) Way exploded. It's kind of crazy. Well, because I wanted to know if this was happening in other places. So something that I have seen recently. A couple times. Okay, more than a couple. A few times. Was something that was a little disturbing to me. And I wanted to know. That's why I posted in a doula group is if it was happening in other places, you know, or if it's just a Utah thing. I didn't know. And apparently. Utah, because Utah's weird sometimes. Sometimes we're weird. But Mm -hmm. apparently it's not just happening in Utah. And it's something that's happened in other places as well. And still is happening. And apparently back in the day it was happening. Um, Back in the olden days. Yeah. This was an old school thing. So what I have seen is the woman is pushing. And the baby is getting to the point that. um, This is making me mad already. I know. (laughs) The baby's almost crowning. And do you guys know like the little sample Johnson to Johnson, like the little, the little yellow, like little Little yellow bottles. Like samples, travel size. They crack open this bottle and then they just plop it. The soap. Yeah, it's like (laughs) like that. They made that noise. (laughs) (laughs) And it that's it like plops out like that, right? Like it makes that noise all over the woman's vagina, inside the woman's vagina. And they just start wiping it. And they're doing it for many reasons, apparently. This is what I'm hearing and being told. One, to mask the smell of birth. Because birth is so disgusting. I mean, birth smells, right? It smells like birth. It smells like birth. Guess what? When you work out, you smell like you've been working out. When you hate onions, you smell like you hate onions. Like, you know, like... It has smells, like life has smells, and it's not a bad smell. And it's pretty disgusting to me that a provider that chooses this profession is masking a smell with Johnson & Johnson baby Baby's heads smell so delicious. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. So anyway, so that um, lubrication, that it provides more lubrication and can help from tearing... And that it cleans the baby's dirty head off. Because why would you want a dirty, bloody head? Yeah, why would you want a dirty, bloody head? You know, and maybe you don't. But guess what? You can wipe it off. You don't have to douse it in (laughs) Johnson and Johnson baby soap. So anyway, it's just it's so disturbing. And this is something that a lot of women that I have seen 
didn't even know this was happening. And so for me as a doula, it's important for me to make sure that my clients are aware that this this is happening in our area. And so make sure to, yeah, to be aware of that. It's something that you just don't think about <laughs> happening. But you know what when else? When someone's oh. pouring Johnson & Johnson in your vagina. But you know what else, though? It's not just Johnson & Johnson. People are using mineral oil. Yeah. Like... Just just get your hands off the mom's vagina when she's just pushing leave, the baby out. I've seen a local midwife alone. pour frankincense on the baby's head. Like pour it, not just like one or two drops, but like pour mm. it on the baby's head to like anoint the birth. Anoint? Anoint. Oh, that's that's why? Yeah. Weird. Interesting. I mean, not weird, but like if that's like your spiritual or religious custom, does the, like does I totally get that. But this particular midwife has it as standard practice. Hmm. And... It bugs me because I have this weird thing with essential oils and babies just anyways. Hmm. I like essential oils. They're great. They're supportive. Yeah, a, lot but like, of, a lot of people use them on their babies. But newborns, like, you got to be really careful and you got to dilute the oil and you got to be sure to, like, test a small amount and see if there's a reaction to it or not. Hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and, and frankincense, that's a pretty intense one. To anoint. To anoint. It's interesting. That's very birth. interesting. Very, very interesting. So yeah, you just don't know. And so... So ask your provider... If they're going to rub anything on your baby's head. Or on your vagina. Or on your vagina. Yeah. Because that's just, just, yeah. Not only that, but like, let's just think about like the acidity of Johnson Johnson baby soap. In this baby's eyes and mouth and and nose. And in the vagina. It's like going to kill all your good burn, Like good bacteria and you can have a yeast infection. Yeah, yeah, and if you have any tearing, like, ow. Ow. And another thing, too, that kind of strikes me funny is, um, you know, we talk a lot about the microbiome and Mm -hmm. how important the microbiome is and and how it helps. washing off baby's head with all your frankincense and Johnson & Johnson soap. Well, yeah, and and you're you're getting rid of the microbiome, right? That natural microbiome that's good for these babies. Mm -hmm. Um, You're getting rid of that, which is something that we want and it's good for their gut flora and and all those things. And so it just confuses me why we do that. But then when we have a mom that wants a gentle cesarean, vaginal... Um, microseeding is so weird. Why would we ever do that? But because we wash it off when the baby comes out. Well, no, <laughs> yeah, but well, I'm just saying, like, why would like the providers think that is just the weirdest thing? But then, like, they think it's okay to pour soap in a mama's in a mama's vagina, and so it's weird to me. Like, why are we thinking like microseeding and and giving baby the microbiome via gauze or whatever? after a cesarean but that's that's completely acceptable anyway so that's a weird thing so that's another topic that we want to talk about speaking of yucky vaginas let's talk about erythmycin eye ointment for a minute oh yeah i so if you did not know i'm speaking purely facts here okay you can find all this info on evidence-based birth to back me up okay so the eye ointment that they put on your baby's eyes after birth most of the people think that it's just to keep like prevent eye infections or anything like that but that particular medicine, erythromycin, is an antibiotic that is designed to cr- to protect babies' eyes from contracting chlamydia and gonorrhea if a mom has an active STD. So that is exact. Its exact purpose. And if you wanted to know, 
it only protects about half the strains of chlamydia and gonorrhea. So in order for it to be necessary at all, a mom has to have an active infection of either chlamydia or gonorrhea. And if they do, then they put the erythromycin eye ointment on. Like that's why it was designed. But now it's just standard care. Everyone gets erythromycin eye ointment on the eyes. So if you are in a platonic relationship and you know with confidence that your partner is not sleeping around on you, which, you know, sometimes it's hard to know and sometimes surprises happen, um, no judgment here, then you might not want to get that because there is some side effects like babies' eyes can become blurry, they can have an allergic reaction, it can cause blindness in some cases and things like that. So that's one to think about as far as like the informed consent side. But the reason why I brought this up is because one time I had a client who had just had her VBAC and the newborn nurse was not my favorite. She was acting very aggressively with the baby and um, she asked she asked what was going on with the baby and I said, oh, they're putting the eye ointment on now. And then my client asked me, well, what's the eye ointment for? And I was going to explain to her so that she could have the option to deny it if she wanted to. And before I could answer, the nurse spoke up and said, oh, there's all sorts of yucky stuff in the vagina. And so this is just to protect the baby's eyes from getting it in, getting it in their eyes. Mm. All sorts of yucky stuff in the vagina. This nurse, I had had personal interaction with this nurse when I had my first cesarean baby and it was not very pleasant. But like she was just like jerking that baby's arms around, measuring tape, like let go of the measuring tape and almost like whacked baby in the head. The little erythromycin eye packet, she almost like scratched on the baby's eyes. She got him so close. She was just really aggressive with that baby. But seriously, erythromycin, you can decline that. You can decline it. It's actually one of the most common ones I have my clients decline just because there's usually not a need for it. And where there is a need, when there is an active infection of chlamydia and or gonorrhea, it only works half the time. Yeah, you know, something kind of interesting is that my C-section babies... They put it on C-section babies too. Yeah. And the the C-section babies don't pass through the vagina. I know. Where's the logic? They're the only ones that had erythromycin and they all got plugged eye ducts. Do you know what? Oh my gosh. My My first did too. My C-section baby was the only one that had erythromycin. Yeah. However you say it. Um, And he did have a a plugged eye duct in his left eye. Lainey got, yeah, Lainey got a plugged eye um, duct and so did Lila. But Webby, who did not get erythromycin, who came out of my vagina, did not. Which well, I thank found goodness interesting. that you did not have chlamydia or chlamydia. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I found it interesting. You know, evidence-based blog has um, a blog all about this. And she talks about how it's it's really to, to reduce pink eye in the first months of birth, which is caused by the infection of chlamydia um, and gonorrhea. So yep. it's really interesting. So go check out her, uh, go check out her blog. If you guys don't already follow her, her name's Rebecca Decker. She's pretty uh, We love her. We think she's awesome. We really respect her and uh, really send out quite a few of her blogs to our, our followers. And it's um, evidencebasedbirth.com. So yep, yep, erythromycin. It's just silly to me, but yeah. Um, it, it, but you know, teach their own. Better safe than sorry-ish. Yeah, it's you know, but there's totally risks and benefits. your call. Don't let anyone tell you that there's no risks to it because there are. Yeah, it's totally your call. So um, let's see. What What's else are we talking about? Other oh, my things? gosh. Your placenta does not go oh, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Placenta oh my dying. gosh we you guys we oh. have we have a Local group practice a group yep, yep mm-hmm. here in utah that um we're catching on to them <laughs> that's we're how i want to say i want to say we're on to them and i don't i don't know i don't know if this is a new thing or if it's just because recently we have had quite a few clients with them what they're doing is they are doing biophysical profiles, which really kind of goes with two of the topics we want to talk yeah. about today. At but 40 at weeks. 40 weeks, which is not evidence-based or not even needed, really. Um, and interestingly enough, you guys want to know what, what our clients are being told is, oh, your, your placenta is a grade, grade three. <laughs> so this is really scary and we should probably induce. And for our VBAC moms, oh, if it's already a grade three, and we induce. It's, it's gonna probably so going to shut down. Yeah, and, yeah, and gonna it gonna will die. Shut down. That's what they say. And it's not going to be good for your baby or your placenta. Oh. And so it's crazy. It's crazy. First of all, because your placenta, it doesn't just poop out. Like poop it does. Out. It's like if you think about the body, right? So at ninety-five years old, we're plugging along, and we're probably plugging along a little slower. And our heart doesn't work as well. And our liver doesn't work as well. And our colon doesn't work as well. I mean, these these things don't work as well. But they're still working. Still working. Keeping me alive. And they're doing well. Yep. Right? But they're just not, they're not a 20-year-old heart or liver or anything like that. And at 40 weeks, a placenta doesn't just decide to quit because... You're 40 weeks. It doesn't just stop providing oxygen and nutrients to this baby. And it is. It is something that we're seeing. And can I just point out to you guys that grade three is a variation of normal, especially at 40 weeks. It's just a ma- it's part of the maturation process. Yes. And it's just like any other your, fetal organ yes. matures and grows. Yes. And your body and your baby will re- release the hormone that tells the body to go into labor. And it just, uh, it does. And the clients that were told that they should just schedule a C-section because their placentas were grade three and they were probably very unsafe. We had one mom. You guys, she's on the podcast. What episode is Kimberly? Kimberly, um, I will find She it. is awesome. She's Barefoot Mama on Instagram. Barefoot Mama, like B-E-A-R. Yeah, so she's she's so awesome, and she had a V back after 72, two seventy two. Seventy two. So check her episode out seventy two. Um, she had a V back after two C section. Her water was broken for five days. Five days. Oh, grade three placenta with GBS. Grade mm-hmm. three placenta, and she totally rocked her V back after two C sections, and so just goes to show how great her placenta, finally, you know, actually was. Well, Go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say, in another client, same thing. You know. Yeah. Well, and we see it more and more, and we'll see in our community or in our in a group called the Utah Birth Forum. People say my placenta is grade three, but you know what? One mom that wasn't either of our clients, she was just posting in one of our local birth. Oh forums. yeah, she did. Yep. She said my placenta is grade three, and my midwives are freaking out. But the sonographer just seemed to think, or or just told me it's a natural. Yeah. Natural what was it natural state for that gestational age of the placenta there's just a normal thing but then these providers are using it for reason to induce or schedule cesarean i wanted to share an article there was a study done it's called aging of the placenta and i want to read the conclusion of this study it's really like sciencey it explains in very like 
complex terms about the aging process, but they really took a look at placental growth and whether it dies or if calcification is a sign of, you know, placental upcoming placental failure or other things. Anyways, it's really good. I'm going to link it in our show notes, but I'm going to read the conclusion of this study for you um, and then we'll move on to something else. But it says a review of the available evidence indicates that the placenta does not undergo a true aging change during pregnancy. There is, in fact, no logical reason for believing that the placenta, which is a fetal organ, should age while other fetal organs do not. The situation in which an individual organ ages within an organism that is not aged is one which does not occur in any biological system. The persisting belief in placental aging has been based on a confusion between morphological maturation, which means like just normal changes, and differentiation in aging, a failure to appreciate the functional resources of the organ, and an uncritical acceptance of the overly facile concept of placental insufficiency as a cause of increased perinatal mortality. So basically what they're saying is placenta aging is just misunderstood as as a bad process instead of just normal maturation and growth of the placenta to meet the needs of the baby that's growing inside. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And so let's talk about late-term girl scans and why else they're a bad idea. Megan, you want to take it away? Yeah, no. Um, you know, with growth scans um, happening the, at the end of pregnancy like this, and even throughout, like, I know people that are getting girl scans way too often for no reason. Like, literally, low-risk people that's like, oh, I just went in for this biological or biophysical uh, profile. I'm like, why? You're 38 weeks? Why? Yeah. Oh, we got to check fluid and baby size. Why? <laughs> that's what I always want to know. Why? But anyway, you know, they're really instilling fear in these women when they're being told that their fluid is low, their baby is big, and they should probably induce. And it's it's being seen and done more and more and more. And I don't know the evidence on how often it really should be done, but I'm assuming very rare. it's very little. Usually there's concern like with IUGR, fetal growth, yeah, or yeah. the placenta, um, like placenta pre- previa or placenta right. previa concerns. Like we need to make sure that it's out of the way or, yep. or whatnot. But anyway, it's happening. It's happening often. And we need to be aware as people who are getting it done that um, a lot of the time it just doesn't mean a whole lot. Yeah. We can have a baby that... it can be incredibly inaccurate. That's what I mean. It doesn't really mean a whole lot because we we could have a baby that's measuring at 10 pounds and the baby's actually... Seven. Yeah, seven, eight. They're grossly inaccurate. Yeah, they're more, they're more inaccurate. So, you know, and they've been accurate. Like I've seen, I've seen it where like the mom actually got it and the baby was measuring at a certain weight and it was pretty spot on, but it's just, it's just more rare. So... My message to you is not to let them get in your head. Don't let them scare you because these these things and, and, and question them. Why? Why are we doing this? And what would change what would, based what would on what change we find? Based on, and what are you looking for? Yep. You know, question them. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this so often? What's the evidence on this? 
you know. Yep. So don't be scared to question them and, and everything. So that's my take. Yep. Anything you want to share? No, I agree. It's just unless there's a true medical reason, which is concern for the placenta or concern for size of the baby, small size of the baby, um, then there's really no need for late-term ultrasounds. And I could be wrong, and there could be providers saying, like, well, there's just one more thing. But this is the thing. If your fetal height is less than 10 weeks ahead, there's no need to guess to do an ultrasound for a big baby. Because, you know, if you're 38 weeks and you're measuring 48 weeks, that's a normal variation. Anything within 10 weeks. If you're 38 weeks and measuring 45 weeks, that's a normal variation. Okay. They only worry about like things like polyhydrominose, which is excess water. I hope I said that right. Polyhydrominose. Mm-hmm. I think it sounds right. Which is excessive water after you're measuring 10 or more weeks ahead. So if you're measuring three weeks ahead and your doctor says, oh, well, you want to make sure your baby's not too big, then you can say no. You can say no. You can decline that scan. And it's probably a good idea because what I find is most of the time, whatever they're checking to find, they will find it. Mm -hmm. If they're checking to make sure your baby's not too big, your baby's going to be too big. Nine times out of ten. And then guess what? That's going to mean you're going to get pushed for induction. You're going to get pushed for repeat cesarean. There's going to be concerns and fear. So that's why right. Megan's suggestions were great. Ask what they're what they're looking for and how would plans change based on what they find. Yep. Love that. What else we got? Anything else on the list that we want to touch on? Yeah. Pitocin after delivery. Oh, yeah. You know, this is something that a lot of people actually don't know. When I'm working in my prenatals with my clients, I and I mention this, everyone's like, wait, what? Wait, wh- why? What? They do what with Pitocin after birth? Because a lot of the times, and you know, Dr. Stu, I don't even know what episode was it. It was. It was a long time ago. But Bliss and Stu, they were talking about a nurse, a nurse who wrote in, if I remember right, I, I'm sorry if Stu and Bliss, if you're listening, you're like, you're botching this. <laughs> but um, a nurse wrote into them because they were talking about Pitocin after birth and how more often than not, there's not an informed consent. It's just done. They just do it. They yep. just do it without anyone asking or talking or informing or anything. And they had a nurse write in to them and they read uh, the letter and it just showed, it said like how it opened her eyes and she wanted to make sure that she informed her patients of what she was going to do and made sure that it was okay with them because a lot of people don't know. So after birth, it's very standard that they give Pitocin to a woman for her to help her uterus clamp back down faster. To decrease the risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Yeah, to decrease the risk of postpartum hemorrhages. And studies do show that it helps, right? Like it helps. Um, However, there is a natural oxytocin release in the body. And natural oxytocin release is more effective than PIT most of the time. Mm -hmm. And just having that baby placed on your chest, nursing, Mm -hmm. skin to skin. You can touch your own nipples. (laughs) Touch your own nipples. (laughs) (laughs) It will release your oxytocin. And guess what? That's going to help that uterus clamp back down. And the uterus naturally clamps back down. Just Mm. naturally. It doesn't just like bubble up. You know, and it, it it knows what to do. You know, I told the client this tonight, actually, to prenatal that it's like our uteruses have a brain, 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm serious. Like it's like they're so smart. They, they are know so smart. they cause prodromal labor because they know that this baby is in the wrong spot and they're gonna move this baby. And they, I mean, seriously, think about how amazing our uterus is. It's like we have two they're brains. Pretty intuitive. And so anyway, so it's gonna naturally clamp back down. So if you were not aware of it, we want to make you aware of that. That is a very standard thing that they will give pitocin after and, birth. Yep. And guess what? They won't ask you and they won't tell you. No, they won't. And if you have an induction that is 50 hours long and your body has been full of pitocin for 50 hours, your receptors in your uterus are full and are not going to respond to pitocin. So that leads them to do methrogen. And guess what? Cytotech. Yes, they Mm -hmm. use cytotech for VBAC moms after Mm -hmm. birth. But the uterus, although it... I had a question the other day about this with the provider, and I asked, and this is the response that they gave. I said, why is it okay for you to give Cytotech to a VBAC mom after birth, but not during birth, right? Because Mm -hmm. in my head, why? Cytotech is Cytotech, and it's going to, yeah. And you guys, uterine rupture can still happen after birth. We've had a local doula here that baby was pushed out, and guess what? It happened. Now, it's very rare, of course, like uterine rupture in general. But my question literally was like, why? Why is it okay? Why is it safe to give a mom rectally cytotech? And they said, this is their their answer. And Julie, you know the stats way better than I do. So let me know if you've heard different. But they said it's completely safe. It's not contraindicated at all, at all for a VBAC woman because her uterus is not stretched out like it is when she is pregnant. And it's so, it's it's soft, right? It's it's going hard and it's soft and relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's okay to make it squeeze really really hard when there's not a baby inside of it. Well, and that's it, that's the I mean, logic that my mind sense. automatically went to. But I don't. It I makes don't know sense. Anything more on that? It makes it makes total sense. But I have always wondered that. So anyway, so and they're giving it rectally instead of vaginally. And they so, have to because they crudate, and so it'll just pop right back out. Yep. But um, just bloop. Right yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's just interesting to know, you know, Pitocin is given after birth. It's very standard. They bolus the first bag, which means yep. they just dump, dump it, it in, in there. there. 999 <laughs> milliliters a minute. Like mm-hmm. it's dumping in. And then the second bag, they slow it way down, I think to 30. I yeah, want to say to 30. And it takes, forever. it takes forever. So then you're still hooked up to an IV. Blah. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so this is what we would suggest is yeah. talk to your provider about it. It's pretty standard at hospitals. All the hospitals around here do like two bags of pit standard. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to your provider. Have them make a note in your medical records if you do not want Pitocin after delivery. Mm-hmm. And unless there's a sign that you're hemorrhaging, in which case it would be a good idea. And in which case they would probably do... Um, methogen or cytotech anyways because if there's an active hemorrhaging then that's a works a lot faster than pitocin mm-hmm. does so talk with your provider about it and make sure your doula knows too so that they can watch um, because a lot of times these hospitals are just a, a system and they're run really smoothly like a well-oiled machine 
and these nurses and doctors just get in their little groove and it's just an automatic thing, you know? Come and your baby's born, you probably won't even know what's happening to you. You're, mm-hmm. you're just so sweetly snuggling your brand new baby. Oh, I did, I just had a VBAC, which is so exciting. And that was a really weird voice to use because <laughs> that's what I said during my VBAC. I did, I did, I did it. And then all of a sudden you don't even know there's Pitocin pumping into you. Yeah, just just talk about it. And if that's something you really don't want, and maybe you don't care. Yeah. And and that's okay, too. Like, it is totally fine. Yeah. But just You're be like, aware oh, of it. baby's out. Yeah, everything's good. Like, whatever. But just be aware of it because it is give, it's being given without consent. Yep. So just be aware of that. Is Absolutely. There any, I think we have yes. one more. We have two more. Two more. Um, first of all, speaking on Pitocin, when you are being induced which induction is safe option for VBAC. Once your body's in a good labor pattern, you can tell the hospital staff or the doctor to turn your Pitocin down or, or off. off. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it so many times, like the Pitocin just gets bumped up and sometimes mom just needs a little whiff of Pitocin and then her body kicks into gear and they turn it down and off. Um, some hospitals do that. Some hospitals don't or they keep cranking it up. And they, they don't believe that the body will take over. Yeah. When an induction happens like that. Yep. And it will. It most yeah. times. Yep. So. And guess what? If you turn it down slowly and your body starts contracting less and farther apart, then turn it back up. Because Pitocin acts pretty immediately on the body and it can get out of the body pretty quickly as well. So that's what we would suggest. I want you guys to know that if you have Pitocin, you can ask for it to be turned off. And Mm -hmm. this is a nice segue into our last topic, which is if they say no or refuse to, ask them to document their refusal in your medical records. Mm -hmm. Ask if they say, if you say, I would like to turn Pitocin down or, you know, start slowing it down and turn it off and see if my body picks up on its own and they say, no, that's not protocol here, then say, that's great. Can you document that refusal in my medical records? Mm -hmm. Because you're asking them to make a formal note that they are refusing to comply with your wishes. And let me tell you what happens after that. They're going to go outside, they're going to call the doctor, and then they're going to come in and say, okay, well, we can try. We can try it. Yeah. Yeah. What was I? I think it... I think it was the Birthful podcast I was listening to the other day. She's great. She's awesome. I love her. But I think it was like, say, like it was something like, I'm not going to allow you to not let me, to, well, oh, well, crap. I'm not going to allow me. I'm not going to let you allow, what was it? Now I'm botching it. See, I'm good at botching. I'm so. not going to allow you to not, to not allow, allow me. me. That's it. Yeah. I'm not going to allow you to not allow me. And I was like, yes. Mic drop on that. Mic drop. Seriously, though, because it's like, I no, you're not going to tell me what I'm not going to do. <laughs> like, I'm going to do what I feel like is best. And it's important. It's really important. Super, super it important. And if, and if they're going to say that, then it does. It needs to be documented because you need to have them see, you know, like, you're serious. And if, fine, like, if you're going to agree. And what that's going to do, too, is it's going to bring up a flag to them that, like, you're prepared to take repercussions if things go backwards because they didn't listen to you. Yeah, yeah. And because in the back of providers' minds, I wouldn't say all providers all the time, but that is something that they have to consider is the legal repercussions of their care. And I was listening to Dr. Sue's podcast the other day, and he says, it is so incredibly rare for a doctor to get a lawsuit anymore. It's so incredibly (sighs) rare. 
But it does happen, just like uterine rupture. And so it's something that they have to be careful about. And so they'll be more likely to comply um, if they know you're educated and they feel like there might be some kind of repercussion. Another phrase that I've really come to love lately is, that's not good enough for me. Yeah. Saying, that's not good enough for me. Oh, you you won't turn my Pitocin down? That's not good enough for me. You want to rub Johnson & Johnson on my baby's head while it's crowning or on my vagina? That's not good enough for me. You want to say my placenta is going to go bad? That's not good enough for me. You (laughs) want to do a late-term girl scan to make sure my baby's not too big? That is not good enough for me. You want to give me Pitocin after delivery? Not good enough for me. You want to rub Oima on my baby's eyes? (laughs) Not good enough for me. You can say that. It's not good enough for me. It's not good enough for me. Like, what's not good enough? Like, what you're, their what answer. you're giving? Their answer oh, is their not good answer. enough. Their answer. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. So yeah. if your provider says, um, no, it's pretty standard to give two, two bags of Pitocin after delivery, you look at them and say, that's not I'm good doing... enough for me. Hmm. I'm not going to let you do that. I don't want that to happen. I refuse. Mm, yeah. I do not consent. Document it in my medical records. It's not good enough. Do you know what's interesting to me? You know how the midwife's chart... I mean the Manhattan Midwives, the nurses. Mm-hmm. So I tried to get access to that, and literally. What do you mean get access to it? I wanted my access to my. I wanted the access. Oh, to your to charts. my charts. Uh huh. Do you know what the medical um, records told me? What? That I was not allowed to do that, and that would be opening a can of worms. No yeah. way. No, I'm serious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I got my op reports. Yeah. But I never got my like strip yeah. chart no, note charts yeah dude you're found and full she of lawyers. said that you should have their lo- your lawyer I make know. a for- formal request one of your 500 lawyers like, yeah well and i'm like what like what are they chart like they're charting like crazy so it's got to be there somewhere like I, it's I got to be out there all somewhere sorts of weird notes like oh she's crying so hard but she's really i don't know labor. but she said that would be opening a can of worms i'm like huh because I want to know, because they, they document, like, they document, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a word. It's a it's a number range. I'm blinking. I MVUs? No, 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 no. no. It's, a, it's a number range of, like, the it's a grade range of the fetal heart tones. And so they're saying, like, oh, what is the, the word? I know it, too, and it's, like, right on the tip of my tongue. So, anyway, it's a number where they'll, like, base the variation so they're like this variable was a stage whatever this was a stage whatever so there's like different categories of like how severe your baby's heart rate is you know and they'll document that especially if there's like a variable of like a whole bunch of d cells or late or earlies or whatever and they're going to document that and i wanted to document because one of the reasons that they told me they're like oh your baby's not doing well yeah like yeah whatever. mine too um and i wanted to know like well what stage was my baby like what category was I in like I want to know the category I want to know all of the stuff and they literally wouldn't give them to me yeah which I feel like is my legal right it is your legal right get the lawyers involved Megan call the lawyers I want to know what kind of can of worms ooh I do too but I don't know. Maybe one day I'll keep you guys all posted if I end up. You know, you have to do it before. I think they destroy those after like seven or eight years. Oh, I better get that. You better get on it. Because my daughter's eight in a month. Well, you better call in like tomorrow. Actually, in like 25 days. I'm going to put it on my to-do list of the long list of many things. We will have a follow-up episode. 
on this where yeah. we go over it, it was just interesting to me tracings. that i wasn't able to get that chart oh that makes me so mad yeah so okay right well that's the end that is the end <laughs> that is the end so um we're hoping you learned something learned something learned we hope you learned <laughs> something today we hope you learned something today and let us know what you're seeing in your area um, yes. that maybe we didn't touch on or whatever. Go find be. our post on social media today for this episode. It'll be on Instagram and on Facebook mm-hmm. and let us know what mm-hmm. did we miss? What do you see in your area? What do you wish you could tell every birthing mother that they need to know to before know. they enter the birth room? Yep. Yep. Maybe we'll do another one and we'll add those all to the list. We will. And we'll go over your nurse notes on your tracing when i find them you better get yeah on. it's like a tracing i don't know i gotta know that word anyway all I'll right also put the word well <laughs> we love you guys and we wanted to remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already we're on apple itunes we're on spotify we're on google play we're on all of it I think pretty much Stitcher, Castbox, ca- yeah, we're on everything, all of the things. So, um, give us a subscribe, and if you have Facebook, I want you to do me a favor today. I want you to do two things, okay? Two things, and if you love me a lot, which I hope you do, because I love you. <laughs> we love you. PC laptops. We love you. <laughs> That's like a commercial. Anyway, um, <laughs> I want you to do two things for me if you would be so kind. I want you to go to Facebook and I want you to actually guess what? It's three things. I want you, you to. I'm asking a lot. Go to the VBAC link commu- um, community. It's a forum, it's a safe forum. It's monitored by. Um, yours truly, Julie and I. And if things get nasty in there, we kick them out. We we don't we handle no we don't handle nastiness. We don't handle trolls. We've seen um, VBAC forums being taken down by trolls, and it is not going to be allowed in our group. It's a very safe space, and we want you to fill space and loved and supported, and we want you to get that education. So go look at the VBAC link community on Facebook. There are three very simple questions that you must answer, and we are very strict with this. You must answer them or we will not accept you. So please answer them. So answer those three questions. They're super, super easy, and then we'll get you added and let you get a feel for that community. It really is amazing. And then go to the VBAC link on Facebook and give us a follow or give us a like on our page. And if you would be so kind, there is a review box. Please leave us a review. Please leave us a review. We love getting reviews. And something that we love to do, if you are new with us, um, you'll be catching on. We read them at um, all of the episodes, the regular episodes. Um, And if you are not new with us, then you've heard many reviews. And we want your review to be next. So... Go on there and leave us a, a review and a comment if you would, and you might just be next on the podcast being reviewed, uh, read your review. So please, 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 we love you so much. Do me that solid favor, and um, we can't wait to read those reviews and see you in the community. We really like to get to know everybody in that community, which see. there's like there's like over a thousand people in that community yeah. and we really we we try to really be involved and in, and in, in comment and and we love it we monitor it very closely so we hope you feel safe and loved and like i said we love you 
and we will see you on the flip side next week. <laughs> Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.